Let's open our Bibles for the next to last time to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. The title for today is Circumstantial Evidences of Grace. I thought that was a clever and cute title, and my wife said, what does that mean? So um, we'll see by the end, but um, she always is helpful to give me some feedback. And what I mean is, uh, uh, we'll show you. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21. But that you also may know about my circumstances how I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Let's start this morning by asking a question and answering it in our hearts. What is your most valuable possession? Let me ask it this way. Let's, let's talk about first what you own at your home. A fire is raging and it wakes you up in the middle of the night and you have a very quick minute to grab one thing in your home. What would you grab? What's your most valuable possession? But let's ask it another way. You may have heard this old question, what do you possess, what do you have that money can't buy and that death can't take away? Well, you can't grab that if there's a house fire. Obviously, the answer is a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, salvation. That's what we possess that money can't buy. That's what we possess that death cannot take away. I'll ask you a second question. Beyond your salvation, if you're a Christian, what is the second most valuable possession that you own? Can I suggest that the most valuable possession of any believer is perspective? It's a worldview that understands the world from God's vantage point and not just our own. The ability to see our world, to see our lives, to understand what we're experiencing from God's perspective instead of our own is invaluable. We've been hearing from Paul, the author of Ephesians, for six chapters now. And few people have ever on this planet wielded the power of perspective like Paul. He tells the Corinthians about some of the consequences of his faithfulness to Christ. If these things had been on your spiritual resume, I wonder what your perspective would be about Christianity and living for Christ. What would your perspective be if this was your life's ministry resume? 2 Corinthians 11, verse 24. Five times. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. We usually know of that experience and that punishment from Jesus being flogged. This is what Paul experienced not once or twice. Not three times, not four. Five times he was beaten almost to death with this whip. Three times, he says, I was beaten with rods. 
once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep, bobbing around in the ocean. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, both crossings and floodings, I'm sure. Dangers from robbers. Dangers from my countrymen, the Jews who wanted to kill him. Dangers from the Gentiles who thought he was preaching strange gods, a strange God. Dangers in the city and dangers in the wilderness, nowhere to escape. Dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from such external things, Paul says, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Not only that, but Paul also endured what he calls a thorn in the flesh, not a debate about what that was. He says, calls this thorn a messenger of Satan. So I think the best way of understanding that is this is a person who was after him, demon-possessed, demon-enraged against Paul and his ministry, probably in Corinth. But God was using these attacks for his benefit, just a few verses later, there's no chapter division between chapter 11 and 12. And right after he talks about his resume in chapter 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, this is what God had told Paul he should know about heaven and hell, about the Christian life. Paul had unique perspective on what God had said about living and dying and life. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me, Paul says, from exalting myself, from boasting. There was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting in myself. Concerning this, I, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me than this. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults. I am content with distresses, with persecutions. I am content with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That last verse captures this power of perspective. Paul experienced weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties because of Christ and his ministry for them. But he says, when I am weak, I'm strong. Now think about Paul for a moment. What an amazing ministry he had. He proclaimed the gospel in hostile synagogues. We've said over and over in the book of Acts, you can see him going into a town. God said to Paul, you're going to be a representative on my behalf to the Gentiles. Every city he goes in, where does he go first? The synagogue. And it never goes well. 
but he does it in the next city as well. He loved his countrymen, the Jews, and they were hostile to him. He preached in open Gentile marketplaces. Paul was a street preacher. He would stand in the street and proclaim that Christ had died for sinners, and you're all sinners who need grace. He debated on the Areopagus of Athens, the smartest, cleverest, most well-educated men of the world collected themselves to Athens up on the Areopagus and they debated Paul and he debated them and he won. He evangelized before the intimidating council of Jerusalem at, at a trial that, that was before men who had murdered Jesus, who had the power to kill him. And he told them the gospel. He was beaten so badly at Lystra that he was drug out of the city, thrown in a ditch, and left for dead. Perhaps that was when he said he was stoned in 2 Corinthians. He stood for the gospel with a hostile audience of thousands of people before King Agrippa and Festus, even to the Roman guards who were holding him at sword point in this Roman imprisonment. He was faithful to talk about the good news of the gospel. And how about this? How about this? In Acts chapter 20, he's saying goodbye to the elders at Ephesus. And in a meeting at Miletus, he says, the Holy Spirit has told me that everywhere I go will involve persecution, chains, beatings, imprisonment, and eventually I will die because of what I'm doing. Next city, I love how he describes himself in Acts chapter 17. He says, or Luke calls him one who upset the world. So when Paul says that he wants his readers to know about him and to know about him, his circumstances, you can rest assured that's an interesting story they're about to hear. Back to our text in Ephesians. Notice, by the way, that there is a word that pops off the page. It's used three times. Let me read it again so that you can see what's important, that, so important that Paul would repeat it three times. But so that you also may know, there's the first time, about my circumstances, how I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything, second time, known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. What you desire to know about reveals what you care about. And what you care about, you want to know more about. This is especially true about those we love. Communication and care go hand in glove. Said another way, if you love the Lord, you will love uh, and you love others, you will care about the Lord's work in this world and you'll care about others and their work for the Lord in this world. These two simple verses, almost to the end of the book of Ephesians, provide us a biblical standard of what it means to care and to share that care. We should care about God's work in others. 
We should care about God's work through others. We should know about it and seek to know about it. It's interesting looking at these last, we're in the last four verses of of Ephesians. And I'm going to confess, these are verses like sometimes the beginning or end of epistles or or letters or books that you kind of scurry through, you kind of hurry through. But when you stop and see what's going on here, it is nothing short of amazing. The simple but powerful squasher of all care is selfishness. But you understand selfishness is not a lack of care. Selfishness is not a lack of care. It's a care for yourself and not others. That's what selfishness is. Paul dispenses himself of care and of, of selfishness rather and understands that the Ephesians are not selfish because they care about him. So as we come near the end of our study of Ephesians, Paul transcends his own selfishness. He uses the currency of communication to share the deepest levels of care with these friends, the church at Ephesus, who he had pastored for three years. So when you see this proposition for this sermon, it might fall a little flat. Three blessings of faithful ministry communication. And you may think, well, what does that have to do with me? Why is this important? And isn't that for the pastors and elders? They can take care of that. No, no, no. Let me just hold on for a moment. Three blessings of faithful ministry communication, which should be what we're doing among each other all the time. The first blessing is informed care. It's a blessing to know what's going on so that we can care. It's a blessing to care because we know what's going on with others. Verse 21. But that, and by the way, the, the but goes back to his speaking of, the, he is in prison for being bold about the gospel and his prayer request is keep me bold about the gospel which landed me in prison. But that you also may know about my circumstances, how I'm doing. Paul begins this exchange expressing his understanding that the Ephesians care about his life, that the Ephesians care about his ministry. He cares about this care and wants them to know what they should care about more. It's an important feature of Paul's relationships in all of his letters. The mutual care between himself and his friends in these churches is motivating, it's instructive, it is convicting. Think about this. Since his conversion... Paul had a deep desire. He talks about it often. He wanted to visit Rome, the capital of the world. He wanted to take the gospel to Rome. He wanted to bring the gospel to that great city. He wanted to enjoy the fellowship with the Roman believers who had found themselves lodging there and living there. In his letter to the Romans, he wrote, chapter 15, verse 24, of Romans. Whenever I go to Spain, so he, he planned on going up through Italy to Spain. Whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on the way there to Spain by you. When I first enjoyed your company for a while, he wanted to get to Rome. But his thoughts were always that he would go to Rome as a missionary and a preacher and an evangelist. God gets him to Rome as a prisoner. 
as someone incarcerated. This was what we know as, know as Paul's first Roman imprisonment. He was taken to Rome for the first time in chains as a prisoner. He would spend two years there under house arrest, guarded by Roman soldiers. Two years! Luke, who was with, who, Luke, who was with Paul, tells us about this in Acts 28, 16, when he says, When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. It looks like he had a surveillance 24-7. There was always a Roman soldier there. And we find out in verse 20 that it probably was the case that he was chained to the soldier. Soldiers would come in and change shifts and they would change the, the, change the, sh- the chain on their wrist. But Paul stayed the same. That's why he calls himself, I'm an ambassador in chains. In verse 20. But during this imprisonment, this was interesting. He was able to do what he wanted to do in Rome. He had visitors. Acts 28, verse 23. When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. They had appointments with Paul. He was allowed to have visitors who would come and go, and they would make appointments with him. He was explaining to them and by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning until evening. This is incredible. Paul was not just sitting there twiddling his thumbs. From morning to night, people would make appointments with Paul to come and tell us about the gospel. Tell us what this Jesus story is. The Roman church would come and make visits with them as, as well. Listen to how Luke ends the book of Acts. Acts 28, 30. And Paul stayed two full years in his own rented quarters, and he was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, listen to this last word, un hindered. All that Paul wanted to do was not in any way hampered by being in jail, being under house arrest. From morning to night, he had a full agenda to talk to people who wanted to hear about Jesus. He, this was incredible missions. He was stuck And God says, I'm going to bring the mission field by you morning to night, and you can have appointments with them and tell them about the gospel. Incredible. Also, remember this. This two-year stay under house arrest was uh, uh, followed his two-year stay in Caesarea by the sea. Some of us who were in Israel last year stood in in that place where that prison would have been, looking out at the Mediterranean. He was there two years, has a ship ride that has a, Shipwreck involved, he's in Malta, and then he goes up to Rome. So this is four plus years in prison. Now, anyone without a gospel perspective might say, what a waste of Paul's life. Four years in prison? Except the Lord anchored him in these places and people came to hear the gospel from him. Transported from Rome, from Caesarea to Rome goes through that shipwreck, 
has a snake bite from a viper, a deadly viper, several opportunities to escape all along the way, and he goes to Rome even as a prisoner. So here we find Paul under a house arrest in his own rented quarters. When you went to jail in those days, by the way, if no one fed you and, kept, and, and, and supported you in jail, you would die of starvation. There, it wasn't like they had the cafeteria. They gave him his own rented quarters. As he reflects on God's providence that has landed him in chains in, in these circumstances in prison, he writes about those circumstances to the Philippians. Listen to this angle on the same imprisonment. Philippians 1 verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brethren, don't you love that again? He wants them to know that my circumstances, listen, have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Can you imagine being chained to Paul morning to night, listening to him disciple and evangelize people over and over and over and the guard starts talking about this with other guards. The whole Praetorian Guard, they probably cycled through in their own shift of watching Paul. There was a revival happening in the Praetorian Guard because they heard Paul ministering. And don't think that in those breaks, he didn't look at that guard and say, do I have some good news for you? And that, I'm, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, they would not have heard the gospel if Paul hadn't been in prison. Have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. There were some bad actors. They were promoting themselves, preaching against Paul. But some from goodwill. The latter, those who do it from goodwill, do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed as a, for the defense of the gospel. The former, the bad actors, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in either every way, whether in pretense or in truth, good actors or bad actors, Christ is proclaimed. In this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers, through the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ, even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And then comes the phrase, for to me, to live is Christ. To die, gain. Same imprisonment. In fact, during this imprisonment, he wrote the book of Ephesians, the book of Philippians, the book of Colossians, the book of Philemon. So that's what we call the prison epistles of Paul. Remember that Paul refers to himself back in chapter 4, verse 4, as I am a prisoner of the Lord. He didn't see himself as a prisoner of Rome. He didn't see himself in prison as a consequence of the Jews' hatred for him. Remember, they had turned him over to the Romans in Jerusalem. That, then he was held in a Caesarea by the sea uh, before he ends up coming to Rome to stand trial. He says, I'm no prisoner of these men. I'm no prisoner of these plots. I'm no prisoner of these conspiracies and this hatred. I'm a prisoner 
of the Lord. I am a prisoner for Christ's sake, and I'm okay with that. Do you see the power of perspective? What most people interpret as bad things, God says, all things work together for good. Paul wrote that. He's in house arrest. He reminds these readers that he has been stripped of his freedoms, but he has not been stripped of his willingness or faithfulness to Christ, and God has continued his ministry. I mean, we live in a country where so many believers turn up the volume about freedom. Paul's message is that his loss of civic freedom had nothing to do to hinder his commitment to Christ and faithfulness to ministry. Put me anywhere and I'll be faithful for Christ. That was Paul's philosophy of living. He developed the supernaturally informed, divinely inspired maturity to see through trials, difficulties, sufferings, persecutions, and find the providence of God at work. That spiritual ability to see through and find God is not only a gift and not only a blessing. So what's, what's the, what is the anchor for our stability? Look back at the text. Paul adds an interesting phrase. He says that they may understand how I am doing. What a, this is really interesting. I want them to know how I'm doing. I think Paul wants the readers in Ephesus and us to know that he's doing okay spiritually and emotionally in these difficult, unpleasant circumstances. He wants everybody to know, I'm okay. I want you to know how I'm doing. I'm okay. I'm not pining away or whining away. Verse 20, he says, I am an ambassador in chains an ambassador, he's still representing Christ. But he still says to the Ephesians, I want you to know how I'm doing. I know you're going to worry about me. I know you think this is terrible. I'm okay. And Tychicus, as we'll see in a minute, will tell you that. You know, if you or I were in prison, especially if we were there unjustly, unfairly, my suspicion is we will be praying for release. Paul says, I know I'll be released to the Philippians because of your prayers, but I'm not asking you to pray for my release. Everything I want to do, I'm doing now. Paul did not pray for a cessation of his trials. He prayed for faithfulness in his trials and difficulties. And don't miss the fact that he's asking for prayer to be bold. He just did in verse, verses uh, 19 and 20 to be bold in the very thing that put him in prison. He wanted divine enablement to proclaim the gospel and the mystery of Christ. The Ephesians needed to know the condition of Paul, but even more, they needed to know the condition of his heart and his soul. That's why he says, Tychicus will tell you how I'm doing. It's going to be personal. Now we meet Tychicus. We come to a second blessing of faithful ministry communication, informed commendation. Informed commendation. I don't know if uh, we have, I don't know how many uh, couples we have who are expecting kids, but if you want a good name, man, Tychicus is good. This is a great guy. 
I want you to know how I'm doing. Tychicus, verse 21, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will make everything known to you. This verse raises the value of trust. Paul has entrusted his reputation, his work, what his friends at Ephesus think about him, all to his friend, Tychicus. By the way, it looks like, by all calculation, Tychicus, it would be the one who would have delivered this letter to the Ephesians, and if it was a circular letter to the other churches in Asia Minor. He certainly seems to be the bearer of it. Paul's commendation of his dear friend is noteworthy. He calls him the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. Colossians, talking about Tychicus, who also delivered that letter, calls him not only beloved brother and faithful minister, but also a syndulos, a fellow servant, a fellow slave. We read of Tychicus in Acts 20, in 2 Corinthians 4, in Titus 3, and he's always there faithful. In fact, in Acts, Tychicus is mentioned as being with Paul after the riot in Ephesus And some scholars speculate that he might have been an Ephesian or at least maybe a Colossian from the Lycus Valley. He had been there faithful with Paul, listen, at threat of his own life. So as Paul writes here from house arrest under the watchful eye of a Roman guard, he has Tychicus with him. We find out, by the way, later, this is, Jumping ahead, but Tychicus will actually be with Paul during his second imprisonment. And Paul sends Tychicus back to Ephesus to relieve Timothy of his pastoral duties and stay as pastor in Ephesus so that Timothy can come and minister to Paul in Rome. That time he would be in a Mamertine prison in far worse conditions than this house arrest. So when you survey the references to Tychicus, you discover that he was probably the bearer of five of Paul's letters that are in the New Testament. Colossians, Philemon, Ephesians, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Now there is so much to infer here by looking at our friend Tychicus. He is going to be the reporter. He's going to tell the Ephesians how Paul is doing. I want you to know how I'm doing Tychicus is going to tell you. This is another way of saying, you've heard what I've wrote in Ephesians, but Tychicus is going to fill in the blanks. You're going to have questions about me. He knows the answers. You're going to want to know about my conditions, my circumstances, my well-being. He knows. He can tell you. And Paul trusted him with that. Paul writes that Tychicus will make known or reveal everything to you. For a little background, Clint Arnold writes this. Paul extols Tychicus in the most glowing terms, describing him as Paul's beloved brother and as a faithful servant in the Lord. This likely indicates that the Lord has used Tychicus to encourage Paul in his difficult circumstances. Paul also regards Onesimus, Philemon's runaway slave, as a dear beloved brother. The two of them have together been serving Paul during this confinement and will be traveling together back to the Roman province of Asia with three letters, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. Paul was assisted throughout these years 
uh, his years of ministry by many trusted colleagues, but the only other person he refers to as a faithful minister is Epaphras. In other words, this is high commendation. Paul didn't just give this compliment out. Tychicus earned it and deserved it. Now, this raises the question in my heart as we look at Tychicus, as we hear of his reputation, of, of our own reputations. We recently held the memorial service for a faithful elder, Jim Mitchell, who is now with the Lord. As I was preparing the message for his funeral, it was heavy on me that we're all generating our reputations moment by moment in the things we do and the way we live. And someday, people will talk about us at a memorial service. But you do know that people are talking about you now. You have a reputation now. So you will have a funeral at which they talk about you and someone is going to have a lunch conversation in which they talk about you as well. What will be said? Any chance it will be like this? He's such a beloved brother. She's such a beloved sister and faithful minister in the Lord. In other words, when you, when you hear about this person, maybe you, they cannot talk about this person without saying uh, their ministry is faithful. They're faithful to the Lord. They're faithful in the Lord. Ah, what's your reputation? What are you doing to build it? What are you doing to be faithful? Remember the refrain in C.T. Studs convicting him? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Kent Hughes has an excellent book, the title of which is, is, gives you a great encouragement. He says, Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome. And the whole book can be summarized in this sentence. You don't define faithfulness, you don't define success, rather, by, by results. You define success by faithfulness. Are you faithful? The results are up to the Lord. Tychicus had been faithful, and that was his reputation. Oh, that our commendation of each other and with each other would be to talk about each other in terms of faithfulness in the Lord, faithfulness to the Lord's work. Three blessings of faithful ministry communication, informed care, informed commendation, and thirdly, informed comfort. Informed comfort. Verse 22, Paul says to the Ephesians, I have sent Tychicus to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Let's start with the need that this verse is answering. The Ephesians must have been distressed about Paul's circumstances. They must have been distressed about his imprisonment. 
They were disquieted. They were discomforted about their friend Paul. Why? They loved him. He had been their pastor for three years. He was in jail. They didn't know if he was going to die soon because of his imprisonment. And one day he would in prison in Rome. It was a legitimate fear. I think it's interesting that Paul doesn't confront them because of their lack of faith in God, their lack of trust in God. He knows they're disquieted about his circumstances, and he doesn't say, you guys know better. Your theology is better than that. He tells Tychicus, you got to give them some comfort. How are they going to get comfort? Because they know how I'm doing. They know it's okay. They know my faith is strong. They know my theology is secure. They know that I am believing and living what I've taught them. Paul's circumstances, as bad as they were, were still worthy of providing comfort to the Ephesians. Now, let's just consider this for a moment. Let's consider the obvious. Can we do that for a moment? Have you ever noticed what's absent from Paul's letters from his imprisonment? Especially 2 Timothy, where he's writing from that Mamertine prison, that those horrific cir uh, uh, circumstances where he, he was in a pit that had been dug out of, it was an old cistern, been dug out of rock. What's absent in his communication? Complaining. He never complains. He doesn't complain about his circumstances. He doesn't say, pray for me. The food is terrible here. Pray for me. It's not kosher. Pray for me. I don't have my favorite pillow. Pray for me. I'm stuck in this house. I can't exercise like I want. Pray for me. I'm uncomfortable in this chain. Pray for me. My captors are mean. And he never prays. Pray for me. They might kill me. But that was the fact. This is the height of selflessness. He's not concerned about his circumstances. He's concerned. He's in an uncomfortable situation, concerned about the discomfort of the Ephesians and wants Tychicus to give them comfort. Listen to his heart about this. This is shocking to me. I, I don't think this landed on me as hard as it did this week when I'm studying and I'm seeing Paul's discomfort, his, his situation, his, his trial, his difficulty, his suffering, his persecution. In the middle of that, he writes this prison epistle from Rome to the Philippians. Now listen to this in context. He says to Philippians, says to the Philippians, do all things without complaining or disputing, grumbling or disputing. If anyone had a right and a reason to complain, it would have been Paul. This is a man in the worst of circumstances telling us in our less than ideal, less, less than severe circumstances, don't complain. 
Why? So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children above, of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world holding fast the word of life that, you, that in the day of Christ I will, have no, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain or toil. Then he says this, but even as if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I'm doing this for the, your maturity, your well-being. I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. That's often missed, that when you pour out a drink offering, it's gone. Paul says, I see the end, and it's heaven. There is no rescue from what I'm Pursuing. Perspective. Perspective is such a powerful reality. It's a powerful thing. Here's an important reflection. Paul wanted Tychicus to pass on his own theological peace, his own theological confidence, his own truth that he had grasped and lived upon And he wanted God to translate that confidence that he had into comfort for the Ephesians. Tell tell them how I'm doing. What's the answer to that? How was Paul doing? He told the Romans, we know that all things work together for good. Do you think he was complaining? No. This goes back to our little adage, those three questions, what do I feel? What do I think? What do I know? Was Paul, as Paul was counseling himself, he knew what he believed. He knew his theology. He knew what he knew. Therefore, it controlled how he thought. And his feelings seemed to be under control and in check. So, let's grab a couple of takeaways from this passage. Isn't it amazing? I, these two verses I would have kind of skimmed over without looking more closely. What amazing truth pours out of these. Let me ask three questions for ourselves, okay? Three questions of ourselves. First of all, Paul is a missionary in prison. He just asked his fellow believers in Ephesus to pray for him. Do you pray for our missionaries? Oh, it's so easy, so trite. Just an easy thing to throw around. Do you pray for them? Do you pray for the missionaries? Do you want to know how they're doing? Do you care about how they're doing? Do you pray for what they're doing? But not only that, number two, do you care for the ministries of the believers that you do know that are around you? For believers in the church, do you... Do, Are you wanting to commend them for their work in the Lord? Are you working to be faithful in your work for the Lord and looking for those evidences of grace among them as well? Do you care for the ministries of the believers around you? Do you care? Usually the threat against our care is that we care too much about ourselves. Ask a third takeaway, looking at Tychicus. (laughs) 
What's your reputation regarding your work in the Lord? What is our reputation regarding our, our work in the Lord? Are we faithful? Morning to night, Luke tells us, Paul had people coming in by appointment. And they were curious as to what this radical, with a radical message, believed in what he thought. And over and over he said, listen, let me tell you some bad news. You are in trouble with God. He is a righteous and furiously angry God at sin, all sin. But there's a solution. You can be saved from his righteous and furious and full wrath by believing that he poured out all that wrath on his Messiah son, Jesus from Nazareth, who is God in the flesh. They executed him on a Roman cross. And that death was instead of and for you. But he didn't stay dead. Three days later, on the third day, he rose from the grave. And he offers us hope after death ourselves. Over and over, a morning to night, he was explaining this. Then he was explaining it to the believers who had come. This is what it means to grow in Christ. This is what it means to learn of Christ. This is what it means to share Christ yourself to others. There was no circumstance that was so difficult for Paul that he stopped being faithful for his Savior. May God give us a lot of Tychicuses by imitation, and you can name your kid that if you want to as well. What a grace. What a gospel. What a God. What an example. Father, thank you for this example, Paul, of Paul, and this example of Tychicus. So grateful we know about this dear brother, beloved by Paul because of his faithfulness faithful to you, faithful to Paul, faithful to other believers. Help us to know the content of our communication with each other and the importance of our communication with each other about gospel truth, about the work of your son. Lord, let this be not just interesting, but convicting. Not just lesson taught, but a lesson learned from our dear Paul and from his friend Tychicus. In Jesus' name, amen.